0: and let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 17, and uh, <clears throat> praise the Lord, Brother Harmon out of Bayview uh, Baptist Church, uh, Brother uh, Mike and Stephen and I went out there yesterday, counted it up, we hung 20 pieces, of, 20 sheets of rock and uh, put the ceiling in four rooms, and rewired uh, the lights in all four rooms, and a few other things as well. And uh, believe it or not, we even, well, we didn't get home yesterday. We got home this morning. Uh, But uh, it was, uh, uh, praise the Lord, we were able to get it done, and and be a blessing to to Brother Harmon, and, and pray for them. Bayview has been through some very dark times, and trying to rebuild and just move in the right direction. Uh, if any of you have been out there, they have a house across the street from the church they've used for fellowship hall. And uh, uh, they've decided to turn that house back into a house, which I think is a wonderful idea. It'll provide a stable house and, uh, and things for the preacher uh, his wife was talking last night. Said, "I'll, I'll just want to live in one place more than two years," and uh, and so uh, pray for the Harmon's. They're really struggling, and but things are turning in the right direction. And so uh, let's go to First Samuel chapter seventeen. One of the most famous chapters in all the Bible. Uh, you don't have to be familiar with your Bible to know the story of David and Goliath, and that's kind of where we're starting tonight. And I hope you'll forgive me. We've tried to take the life of I'm uh, trying to take the life of David, and we're contri- uh, condensing it, Lord willing, into three sermons. So last week we went from David's birth uh, through the calling and all the preparation. You know, God does not just pull someone out of the hat and all of a sudden use them. Uh, There's got to be that quiet, anonymous, humble work of God in the life of an individual. And we, we did that last week and spent the time on that and... So now we get to chapter 17 and the Philistines were all gathered together. There was a battle and of course we're going to have to to move very quickly. I can't give you all the details of how heavy his spear was and and, and, uh, all of that thing. Uh, But the thing that was different was David's heart had been prepared. You see, when his older brothers heard the cursing of Goliath, when they saw the size of Goliath, when they saw everything about Goliath, what were they? Afraid. Now, I think there's one guy in this story that just gets uh, overlooked, and that is Saul's son, Jonathan. I believe that he would have fought Goliath, except for one thing. Saul. You see, it wasn't Jonathan's place to usurp the authority and the position of his father by fighting in his father's place. Who should have killed Goliath? Should have been King Saul. Isn't that right? But, King Saul had been rejected twenty-some years before. And so, he had the physical attributes. He had the armor. He was head and shoulders above any man in Israel. If anybody knew about war and had studied it, it was King Saul. He had the weapons. He had all of these things that almost none of his people had. But he didn't have the Spirit of the Lord. And you know, without that, it's just not going to happen. Now, God has interesting ways of working. How many of you remember how David got sent to the battlefield? He was sent by his father to visit his brothers. Now, the Bible explains this, but if you don't spend some time, you're going to skip over it. They had been down here possibly for weeks, maybe even a month and a half at this point, and the battle was fought the same way every day. Every morning they got up, they put their armor on, they got ready. Today is going to be the day of battle. Out comes Goliath. And they all say, Not me, not me, not me. And they march back to the trench and they hide for the next day. You know, what is the definition of insanity? It is doing the same thing over and over again, trying, expecting a different result. Uh, that's what had happened to the children of Israel. They did the same thing. They prepared. They were marching out of the trench. David was coming. And he's seeing his brothers and all the other men march. And he's going, oh, look at the, 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 the armies of Israel. And then all of a sudden, Goliath comes out. And he gives his charge and curses the God of Israel and the armies of Israel. And all the men turn tail and run back and hide. Now, before we're too hard on the men of the army. We have to remember something. Saul should have been fighting Goliath. And when the king had no heart, his army had no heart. In fact, if David had been there the whole time, it's very possible that his heart would have been affected by this. But see, God had providentially kept David from being discouraged by the lack of spirit-filled leadership. And David shows up, and the Bible just says, and David heard them. David got there by being obedient to his father. He saw the fear, and his first thought was to encourage the men. And so he just started, Hey, why aren't you taking on Goliath? Well, the king has said he's going to do all these things. And he went to the next one and said, Why aren't you taking on Goliath? Don't you understand? This guy is nothing. He has not defied you. He's defied God. Where in the world did David get that perspective? Taking care of the sheep. Communing with God upon his heart. And a lot more could and should be said about the harp and how those musical instruments work. And you can say things with music that you cannot say with words. And David had learned that. You see, God was offended. He was offended at Goliath, and he was offended at the fear That was in his own nation. No one was willing. And by the way, you weren't standing up for God. We got that, right? God doesn't need to be protected. He doesn't need to be stood up for. He he will take care of himself. But he uses men. And he couldn't find one. So he brings David. And of course, this is part of God's plan. And through the battle, we see David trying to encourage the other men to fight when they won't listen. And of course, how much could be said of what David's eldest brother did to David in disdaining him and treating him as someone that had no business being there. Being a naughty little boy is what David was treated as. You know, a lot of people get that. And that's enough to stop them from serving the Lord. Right there. Because they take their eyes off God and put it on other people. How many of you have been offended by another human being? Okay, if you're alive, raise your hand. You've been offended. Now, how many of you have offended other human beings? Everybody else? Hands back up again. And uh, the simple truth of the matter is if you're going to let that stop you, the devil will make sure there's plenty of it there. But David's Eyes and his heart was not set upon David's honor, was not set upon the honor of King Saul or the honor of the army of Israel. Uh, David understood that that belonged to each individual. David was upset about God's honor and that there was no man that God wasn't willing to use. And finally, David takes that mantle, we might say, to himself, And he's brought in before King Saul and some of the most confusing verses to me in the entire Bible is Saul doesn't even recognize David for who he is. In fact, when this whole thing is over, Saul's going to say, who is this young little brat? Who is this little stripling is what what he calls him actually. He doesn't even know that it's David who has played his harp to heal him and to be with him. He, He, you know, Sin just makes you stupid. I guess there's no other way to put it. His mind was on all of these other things and on his defeat. And Saul wasn't paying attention to anything. I mean, how in the world would you take someone who had to have been in his 40s or 50s at the height of his power and prestige as a king, and this 17-year-old boy comes up. I mean, Stephen comes walking in the back and says, I'll take care of the enemy. Now, David wasn't cocky like that. But Saul believed him. And Saul said, Man, if you go, let me give you my armor. Well, Saul was head and shoulders. And and above everyone, David was probably included in that number. And uh, by the way, I mean, uh, I could just have Andrew stand up here and stand beside him and you would immediately notice two things very different about us. It's called girth. Uh, I like to call it presence. It's maturity. Amen? Uh, There's just a part of growing that doesn't happen until you get a little older. I mean, you could take that... I, I, I just love the picture of Saul putting his armor on David and... the the breastplate scraping at his knees and there's enough room that if David were to turn sideways he could get two of them in there. And Saul just goes on, puts the helmet on and of course it goes down over his eyes and David's there swimming in, in this stuff and he says, I can't use this. And this is one thing I love about David. He refused the help of those who wouldn't do what they were supposed to do without being disrespectful. Never once do we hear David saying, Hey, King, this is your job. Now, I'll do it if you don't want to, but this is really your job. Was that true? Absolutely true! Why didn't David say it? Because his heart wasn't concerned And you're going to see this through David's life. Several different places. His heart was not wrapped up in those people that were in front of him. His heart was wrapped up in serving God. Why chide a king who has already been there for maybe six or eight weeks and refused to fight and trying to convince him to go do a fight that he already said he wasn't going to go? David didn't even take a second He said, nobody's going to go, I'll go. And of course, we know what happened. David took what he had been prepared of God to use. He knew how to use two things. He knew how to use a staff, and he knew how to use a sling. Now, of course, if the guy is actually nine foot six, he probably has you outreached, even with the staff. So it doesn't take much of a mind to realize staff, we're going to have it there, but not going to do much good. Better use the sling. Amen? Uh, I'm not going to get close enough for this guy to touch me, because bad things can happen. And it had happened to many people at the hands of Goliath, from what we understand. And, of course, David took what he had, and God used it to kill the giant. And David is standing on the giant. He's there in the battlefield. Goliath is face down on the battlefield. And David says, you know something? I know he's dead. God knows he's dead. But I don't think the Philistines know he's dead yet. And so he stands on Goliath and pulls his sword out. And then the Philistines know that Goliath is dead because his head is no longer attached to the rest of them. That's usually a good sign that death is imminent. Amen? And uh, so here we have David standing on the headless body of Goliath holding this huge sword that he's never handled a sword in his life. I mean, figuring out how to chop somebody's head off isn't probably that difficult. He got it done, and the whole army of the Philistines is just standing there going. And pretty soon, somebody behind him on the Israel, on the Israel side says, hey guys, Goliath's dead! Let's get them! And they start running out, and God has used this to put fear if this is what the little boys can do. I don't think we want to be around when the men show up. Now, did they have that much to fear? No. Because the men had been there and done nothing. But God used David, and David all of a sudden went from being really a nobody, people were watching, they knew who he was, to being the national hero. You know what? Just a little bit of fame has destroyed an awful lot of lives. If David had moved to being king right now, he would not have been much a king. But see, God had a plan. Saul had not finished his time. And so David was now exalted. And and let's just look at verse 54 here in chapter 17. I want you to understand that David was not just a mindless little boy, not paying attention to what was going on. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to where? What's your Bible say? Jerusalem. Where did Jerusalem come into this thing? Jerusalem was a Hittite city. In fact, it's going to be after David becomes the king that they actually take the city of Jerusalem. David leaves the battlefield, dragging the head of Goliath. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I just, the picture is incredible. Of this little boy, this teenager, has this head of Goliath, bringing it behind him. And takes it to the city of Jerusalem, by the way, which is on top of a mountain. And goes to the city gate, and we're not quite sure, the Bible doesn't tell us what he did to display this. But, I mean, the people going in and out of Jerusalem for the next little while saw the head of Goliath posted at the entrance of their city. You know, I believe that David had plans. He wasn't just idly going, I'm going to be king someday. He knew where he wanted to be king. He knew how he wanted to control. And by the way, whose eyes were already on the city of Jerusalem and had already picked it? Where did David learn that? Well, when you commune with God, God explains a lot of things to you that just haven't been written down. Now, you and I have no excuse because it's all written down. But David took Goliath's head and he took it to Jerusalem and he was making a statement. I'm coming back. And I'm going to do to the whole city what happened to this guy right here. Because this is going to be my city someday. That's an amazing thought process for a 17-year-old guy. If he's somewhere in that neighborhood there. But after the battle, who picked up David? Jonathan, didn't he? That's why I believe that Jonathan... Saul's son wanted to fight the battle, but he couldn't do it. And so what did he do? What did he do after the battle was won, after God had used this young teenager? Here comes a grown man, maybe 15, 20 years older than David. He, he was not his contemporary in any way. He was second unto his father, the king, and he adopts David. As if he were his own brother. And he lifts David up and he he gives David his armor. Of course, David had no armor. And where was David going to learn how to use a sword and how to all... Hey, guess who it was? It was Jonathan that took care of all this thing. Most of us have never had this happen, but when someone who is really important and really powerful i mean a person of great leadership chooses you to be their special friend that does something to you and it's not bad i mean this was this was something that helped elevate david in the eyes of all israel When the king's own son walks alongside of him and in essence says, listen, I'm going to bear your armor, David, teenager, kid, little man. Because in God's sight, you've been used as the man that God wanted to to deliver us. And there was a friendship. And there was also a protection because remember, Saul is now going to begin changing his attitude about David over the next very short little while. And it is Jonathan that goes again and again before his father and even behind his father to protect David and to keep him safe. And let's just turn to uh, 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 chapter 18. And in verse uh, nineteen, it says, But it came to pass at the time when Mirab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given unto Adriel the Methoaphite to wife. Now, you gotta get what's going on. David, because I mean, was made the captain of the armies of Israel after the uh, slaughter of Goliath and he was the one that led them out and came, and came in with the armies of Israel and Saul demoted him and then uh, it came time and David was promised to become the king's son-in-law. Now, stop and think about this. This was a wedding given by the king for his own daughter. Do you think it was secret who the groom was going to be? Well, everybody knew it was going to be, it was supposed to be David, the man who had killed Goliath. Then comes time for the celebration and a new groom is substituted. Now stop and think about what that would mean to your character and your person if you were the guy that was taken off the list and somebody else's name stuck in there that in itself would be enough to destroy many men. Saul was trying to destroy David by dishonoring him. And we'll read the story. David's honor was important to him. By the way, you read history. George Washington's honor was important to him. In fact, he uh, did many things that we might even think high or halting. Because he said, listen, if I'm going to be the general of a real army, you're not going to treat me like the leader of a bunch of rabble. You're going to give me the honor that is accorded my position as an equal. That's why when Cornwallis surrendered his sword, he sent a a captain over with the sword. He wouldn't even carry the sword to George Washington in his humiliation and in his anger. And Washington refused to accept it. He sent a lower officer to receive the sword. It's important to have a proper amount of honor in a position of leadership. This David had the rug pulled out from under him and he's just standing there with his mouth open and never says a word. Saul goes, now what am I going to do? Well, you read the rest of this passage here, and David gets married that same week to the younger sister, Michael. Now, everything it takes to get a, make a wedding happen And David ends up having to go down to the Philistines and kill a couple hundred guys and bring uh, bring the tokens of their death up and, and present them to the king. And all of a sudden, David is put back on the registry. And during the same week that he should have been married to the eldest daughter, he was married to the youngest daughter. Do you think that's why it says in verse 26 here, And when his servants told, these are Saul's servants, told David these words, It pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law, and the days were not expired. This was a way for David to save his honor and save his testimony among the people of Israel, and at the same time not have to accuse King Saul of subterfuge and all of these things, But what did Saul say about his daughter, Michael? He knew her well. She's going to be a snare to him. Somebody said, well, he was just thinking of killing David through the hand of the Philistines. But if you want a tragedy in the Bible, read the life of Michael, Saul's youngest daughter. I mean... This poor woman was trapped between the dishonor of her father and the honor of her husband, and she lost everything. And so, David is now a leader of the armies of Israel, the best friend of Jonathan, the king of Saul, the hero of all the history. I mean, we still sing songs about David killing Goliath. And he was the son-in-law of the king. He was a member of the king's own family. Uh, Could I challenge you? You can't get any higher than where David was without being the king. And all of that was going to change. Almost overnight, wasn't it? Saul was eyeing David already. we We read that. in fact, in verse uh, in chapter nineteen, after he is married, uh, his daughter Michael tells him, "You'd better escape." Uh, verse eleven. Saul also sent messenger unto David's house to watch him. And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If thou save not thy life tonight, tomorrow thou shalt be slain. So Michael let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. And the story goes that she she told the messengers that David was sick and in bed, and there was an image in the bed, and Saul said, Bring him up in the bed and let me kill him myself you imagine how much evil was in a man's heart his own son-in-law and yet when Michael was called into question what did she say well he told me he'd kill me if I didn't let him go there's there's some problems there and so now David is alienated from his people From his wife, he ends up stopping in Nod to visit the priest there to get at least Goliath's sword and a little bit of food so that the few young men that are with him can make the journey and hide from Saul. And he occasions the death of all the priests except one. How would you like to have that on your conscience? And then David goes to Gath. You need to read the story. I mean, you talk about dumber than a box of rocks. Here is David going to Goliath wearing Goliath's sword, going to Gath wearing Goliath's sword, hiding from King Saul. Does that make a lick of sense to anybody? Other than the fact that Saul's not going to be looking in Goliath's hometown for David. Uh, that's And so how does David get out of this? By doing the only sane thing that a man can do at this point. Admit the insanity of your decision. Amen? And so he slobbers on himself and scrabbles on the wall. And the, and the king says... Get this crazy guy out of here. And David slips out and he ends up in a cave hiding from Saul. And 400 guys show up with their wives and children in chapter 22. Now, you talk about when it rains, it pours. All of this is happening to David, elevated up here. Loses everything. And then 400 guys show up and say, take care of us. Because we're in debt. And and, and uh, let's go to chapter 22. The list is just incredible. You, you, you've got to be reminded of this. And everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that is... That was discontented, gather themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them, and there were with him about four hundred men. Don't you love it? What was David gonna do, taking care of four hundred men, plus himself, trying to hide from King Saul? Well, God had a plan there, and you know what? David did not recoil ever from helping people that God put in His way. You know what? He didn't offer help to King Saul. But He helped those 400 discontent and disgruntled and indebted guys. You see, they were to become David's mighty men. And no one in this world had any idea that these guys were those guys. Especially David. Chapter 23. You remember the story of Keilah? Somebody shows up to David while they're hiding in the cave and says in verse 1, Behold, the Philistines fight against Keilah, and they rob the threshing floors. Now, why did somebody tell David? Well, Saul had an army of about 3,000 men that stayed with him wherever he was, but Saul wasn't in Judah. There was nobody there to protect these people, and so they heard that David was hiding there. You know, David was really good at this hiding thing. The people in Keilah knew that they were in trouble and they knew that David had a small army over there and they sent messengers over in secret, of course, to say, hey, David, it's your turn to do something great. And David, of course, inquired of the Lord and prayed. And God said, go. And David went to his men and said, God said, let's go attack the Philistines. And they said, what? He said, we're hiding from Saul. And you want us to cross international boundaries and attack an enemy force. Not smart, David. Uh, I wonder if somebody said, don't you remember what happened in Gath? I, I just have to believe somebody said that to him about this time. And David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord said, go. And David went. And these guys are following him. In debt, discontent. Uh, in distress. I mean, that's really what you want. Those are the characteristics of great fighters. Amen. And he attacks the Philistines, runs off the small little guerrilla band that was there. And of course, the inhabitants of Keelar, move in and be with us. We love you. Till Saul showed up. David inquired of the Lord and said, Is Saul coming down? Yep. Are they going to betray me? Yep. And so David runs and hides. And of course, David is such a great leader, he goes up the mountain as Saul circles the bottom of it. Not smart. Saul finally has him. I love God's timing, don't you? And what happens? The messenger comes up riding up or running up to Saul. The Philistines have invaded the land. Why did the Philistines invade the land? Because David had attacked the Philistines, Akela. Why wasn't Saul able to capture David and take him with him? Because he now had to go fight the real enemy, the Philistines, because David had stirred up the hornet's nest. You know what David was, God was doing? He was taking David and said, See, you always listen to me. It always works when you obey me. You know what he was doing in the hearts of those mighty men? Hey, stupid, who's smart now? You or David? And go, well, how did he know? He couldn't have known. There's no way he knew. He was following God. And God worked it out. And we'll follow David. And we'll let God work it out. You know what? That was making mighty men out of, those, out of those people that needed to be made into mighty men. Amen? And we won't take time to go through all the details, but twice David had opportunity Saul was in David's hand. And David stayed his men. He says, you can't lift your... you can't touch him. In fact, it said, when David cut the skirt off of Saul's robe... Now, I want you to stop and think about the stealth that it would take to sneak up behind a man while he's in a cave and cut... The bottom of his robe off while he's still wearing it, but it said his heart smote him. David was weeping because he had dishonored the king and he showed that piece of of robe. did it protect David at all? Absolutely not. Saul was back at it again in fact. Saul would take the spear at his head and the water jug right from beside his head because God had put a great sleep on all of Saul's men. And yet, Saul never stopped following David until he moved into the land of the Philistines into a city named Ziklag. Now, you would think that David was getting prepared in all of this But there's another situation that rose up. How many remember the story of Nabal? You know what? David was absolutely correct in punishing Nabal and his house for Nabal's behavior. But God sent Abigail to say, wait a minute, David. It's not your job to be the judge. You let God be the judge. And what was David's words? He said, praise God that he sent you a woman of wisdom to stop me from avenging my hand at myself. And then God steps in. You want want to know why Nabal never dies in your life? It's because you are trying to avenge yourself at your own hand and God won't do anything as long as you're trying to do something. David just stepped back completely and took the insult. And then God steps in. And He protected and He raised David's thing. And all of this time, I want you to think about this. And we're, I know we've just basically told the life story of David tonight, but this is what we're, we're looking at his life to get some things from it. Where did these mighty men do so many of their most famous exploits? It was while David was running from Saul. You remember the story of the three men, the three mighties that broke through the host of the Philistines just to get David to drink? Because he said, Oh, the water at the well of Bethlehem. What a, oh, that's the best water in the world. And I, I love the story. I mean the three musketeers, nothing made up by man has anything on what's already in the Bible. These three guys come out of nowhere. I mean swinging swords and lopping off heads and doing all the things that they do in the movies. There's a garrison there. There's hundreds of Philistines and they're sitting there uh, sounding the alarm and, and marshalling the forces and calling everybody on alert. And these three guys break through the line, run to the well, grab a pitcher of water, and run away. And they're just standing there going, what happened? Why did they do some incredibly, we might say, stupid thing like this? You know what they were trying to do? They were honoring the heart David. And David knew what they were doing. And that's why he said, Wait a minute, guys, this kind of honor doesn't belong to men. You know, David had done many things to protect his honor and to be honorable. And he should have done those things. But when these men actually perform this act of worship, we might say, that bringing this incredible honor to David, David says, "Mm we don't honor men like that. We honor God. And I will take your gift of honor that you gave to me, and I'm going to pour it out unto the Lord. But what do you think that did with those mighty guys? All of a sudden, they're going, It's not David. It's God. We're going to do anything that needs to be done to protect God's man. And they started becoming those mighty men. But you know, sometimes God's work isn't done until, if you allow me to use a modern euphemism, He rips your guts out. That was coming. That's what Ziklag was all about, was it not? I mean, God was going to take every good thing that God had given David in his life and take it away from him in that second as they crested the hill and saw the burning remains of Ziklag. David had on his conscience... They were there because he led them there. Everybody had been sold into slavery as far as he knew. The most horrible things you could imagine were probably happening at that moment in his mind. Now, God had protected him, but David had no way of knowing that. His own men said, hey, you've led us in the past, but you're a man and you messed up this time and it's your fault. And we don't have time to go through the whole sermon, but David inquired of the Lord. He encouraged himself in the Lord. He inquired of the Lord. And he prosecuted the matter until it was completely done. And even in victory, he's coming back and every person has been saved. Not one soul was lost. Not one possession was taken from them. And the men of Belial go up to the 200 that couldn't cross the brook and say, give them their families and let them go. Now, how would you like to be enjoying God's blessings and then have to put up with this kind of stuff? Well, that's part of being king now, isn't it? And David made sure that everyone was treated with the honor and respect that God wants individuals to be treated with. Amen? You see, David was just serving God, communing with God. When he was called on to play for the king, he played for the king. When he was sent home, guess what? He went home. Had no intention of fighting Goliath. Had no intention to be anything other than David, the youngest son of Jesse, till he heard Goliath cursing God. Till he tried to encourage the other soldiers and found out they couldn't be encouraged because the king had already discouraged them. Then, without gainsaying the king, he fought the battle, which led to the exaltation of David, to where he was lifted up and the hero of everybody only to be humiliated and plotted against by King Saul in every way that a human being could be beset. But God used this time of trial for David to make his mistakes and allowed him to survive. Do you think if he showed up in Gath, At the end of this time period, just before Goliath—I mean, just before uh, Ziklag was burned—do you think if he showed up at Gath then, as he did the first time, he would have been accepted? He couldn't make that mistake twice. When he went to Gath and found favor of the king, he was—he had already done some things that put him in a position to where he was safe. David learned how to lead his men. He had learned how to obey God even when it didn't make any sense at all. And and he had nothing to hold on to at Ziklag except God. And guess what? That was enough. That was plenty enough. His men had chance to practice. 300 at one time. 800 at one time. Those were some of the things that the mighty men had accomplished. You know what? You don't have an opportunity to kill 800 guys all by yourself when you're leading a troop of men behind you. These things had to be accomplished while David was in the time of persecution. And when David and his mighty men would walk into Hebron and later into Jerusalem, There was fear in anyone to whom the mighty men cast a backwards glance. Let me tell you, because they had heard the stories. These guys weren't to be messed with. And you didn't touch David because now you had to fight all of them. You see how God did all of these things to prepare David. You see, God said to Samuel when David was just a young man, maybe only 11, 12 years old, he's the man after my own heart. But you know what? He didn't get that heart until after he had spent some years watching the sheep until he had stood on the battlefield with Goliath and prevailed, until he humbled himself in the presence of a woman, Abigail, said, I'm not going to lift myself up. If I'm going to be had in honor, God's going to have to do it for me. That when his men gave him that honor, he said, wait a minute, that doesn't belong to me. That belongs to God. Now, now, He's ready to be king. And even now, it's still going to take another seven years before he'll be promoted as king of all Israel. Now, granted, no one in this room is ever going to be a David. God already has David. Amen? But we can get application. God takes us and makes us suffer not for his own pleasure, but because he wants to change us. That's why it says rejoice when you fall into diverse temptations. Amen? Look at the life of David. God had a plan. He had a purpose. God was putting all the pieces of the puzzle together. David wasn't aware of it. The mighty men weren't aware of it. King Saul wasn't aware. Nobody knew what was going on but God. You know, it's usually best that way anyway, now, isn't it? Can we get an amen on that one? David had to be made ready to be king. Guess what? God just, we sing that song on Sunday morning, He's still working on me, but we don't believe it. Because when God does the work, we complain. Listen, He's still working on us. And let's understand some things. He's still in control. He's still got some things going. It's always best to obey God, even when it doesn't make any sense at all. Just obey God. Just keep doing, and all of a sudden you're going to find yourself right where God wants you to be. And if you have any sense about you at all, that's where you want to be. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. We thank you for this second part of David's life. And Lord, just ask that you would take the details and, Lord, encourage us to look and to think and to meditate upon all the wonderful things you did, all the horrible things that happened to David. And yet we see the overriding hand of God working His will in David's life. Lord, help us to surrender to you. Help us to realize that if we're under it tonight, that just maybe you got something going and you want to change us. Help us to keep our eyes upon you, that we may be your servants. We'll just have the piano play, and before we finish that prayer, maybe the Holy Spirit has prodded you to pray about some things in your own life. I encourage you to slip out, the altar's open.